that here is the um, one of the directors, I don't know your title, it doesn't matter, uh, of Ambassadors Pittsburgh Soccer. You've seen him up on the stage in recent weeks talking about their need for a van, and he's going to finish that story for you this morning and brag about God's amazing work in, uh, in their life and in their ministry. I moved here 13 years ago, and one of the first people I met at Northgate Church was Matt. And Matt and I have been friends ever since, and it's been one of the joys of my ministry to watch him grow up into the man of God that he is, lead this ministry, lead his family, and now to be able to introduce him to preach is a great honor and privilege for me, and so I know we'll be blessed as he brings the word this morning. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Um, the last line of that song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. So I've been up here a couple weeks over the last month or so sharing about our need for transportation for our soccer ministry. When our van broke down and I was about to plan, sit down and plan out how are we going to raise these funds, I got a text from someone in our group chat for ambassadors. This was a message that, of someone who didn't know our situation. He lives in England and he sent a, um, a devotion on Psalm 127. And that psalm says that it is God who builds the house or else we labor in vain. So God used that to me saying, if, if this is going to happen, you have to rely on me. I'm the one that's going to do it. It's not your effort. It's me working through you. And over the last six weeks, God has worked through you, Northgate Church, and other people as well to raise the funds that we need to purchase the van. We have not only reached our $60,000 goal, we've gone above that to $70,000. It is amazing. Last week was the conclusion of our fundraiser. We had someone doing a bike ride, and so that was the last day for donations. And do you remember what Psalm Stephen Teal preached on last week? Anybody pay attention? Psalm 127. So it's like two bookends. At the beginning and at the end, God was saying, I am doing the work. It's not you. It's me working through you. It's just incredible. And this passage, these passages we're going to be looking at this morning, God has used in such an encouraging way to me, and so I wanted to share that with you as well. A couple years ago, I got a text message from one of our soccer kids saying that he had been contacted by a certain religious group, and they wanted to meet with him. He was asking if Malia and I would be willing to come over to his house and hear what they had to say. When Malia and I showed up, we saw three guys in the living room, and they were very surprised to see us. After we introduced ourselves, they quickly got on the phone, and they called a fourth guy to bring him into the meeting. So as they began to share what they believed, Malia and I would interject with a question, a comment, or a Bible verse, and this made them visibly frustrated. At one point, the leader of the group sprang forward out of his chair towards us and angrily shouted, what are you even doing here? Do you want to fight or something? Now, he didn't realize it, but that's exactly what we were doing. Our fight, however, was not against the people in the house. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and bones, but against evil spiritual forces. People are not our enemy. This topic of spiritual warfare can bring a lot of confusion, and people have lots of different opinions on the topic. It is my hope this morning that through the power of God's word, we would gain some clarity on this subject that brings so much confusion. We're going to be looking at two passages primarily. The first is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, and then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and also a few complementing verses. 
Our objective is to gain a clear understanding of the fight that we're in, that we would identify our enemy, that we would know how he operates, what his mission is, and what we need to do to be prepared for the battle. Now, before we go any farther, I think it's important that we all understand that Satan is limited in his power and ability. He is not able to make us sin. That is a lie that we see Eve try to use after her and Adam ate the fruit. That's a lie we hear people say, to, say today, the devil made me do it. A demon made me do it. That is not true. He does not have the power to make you sin. We sin when, as James 1.14 says, when we are tempted, when we are lured and enticed by our own desire. Why do we sin? We sin because we're sinners. What we're looking at today, though, is how Satan and his army will try to tempt and influence us to go against God. Although he's a master at strategy, he's great at acting subtle and being covert, and he is powerful, we do not have to fear him. We serve and worship a God that is stronger than him, smarter than him, and as we sang, has already defeated him. We do not have to be afraid. If we want to live in the victory that God provides us, I think one of the wisest things that we can do is study and learn how our enemy operates. So I'm going to invite you to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and while you find your way there, I'm going to pray for us this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that I have to come and share this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, give us eyes to see your word and ears to hear it. Help us to see clearly who our enemy is, Help us to know what his mission is. Help us to know how he tries to achieve his goals and what we can do to be prepared. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the answers that it has. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. It is evident from these verses that we have an enemy who is at war against us. This enemy is named in verse 11 as the devil, as Satan. And we see in the following verse that he has a whole army, a whole host of evil spirits that are behind him. The Bible in different passages sheds light on this topic and says that Satan, or the devil, is a created being. He was an angel. But him and a host of other angels were kicked out of heaven for their pridefulness. They thought they could rival God. They thought they could be equal to him. And so God kicked them out of heaven. If you want to read more on that, great, great uh, chapters to read are Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, and Revelation 12. I want us to understand the character of our enemy, though. We can get a glimpse into our enemy's character by looking at John chapter 8, verse 44. This is what it says. You are of your father, the devil. This is Jesus talking. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what is his objective? What is he trying to achieve? Well, I think he has two missions, one in the life of the unbeliever, the second for the life of the believer. First, the life of the unbeliever. 
I want us to look real quick at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and we can see what his mission is in the life of the unbeliever. It says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is his mission in the life of the unbeliever? It is to blind them to the truth of the gospel. He does not want the world to know that there's a God who created them, who loves them unconditionally. He does not want the world to know that all of us have a sin problem, punishable by death and eternal separation from God. He does not want the world to know that God sent his only son to earth to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sins to be the satisfaction for our sin debt. He wants to keep the world in the dark, blinded by the truth of the gospel. Now, his other mission is for the life of the believer. If he's been unsuccessful at keeping you from trusting in Jesus Christ as his savior, he wants to draw you away from God's plan and purpose for your life. He wants to deny God the glory that we give him through living a life of service and obedience. And he also wants to hurt our witness. So how does he achieve these goals? Remember, Satan is cunning, he is crafty, and he has tactics. One of the ways that he does this is to go after a specific need or desire that we have. He does not tempt us in generalities. It's always after something specific. It doesn't even have to be something wrong or sinful. It could be just simply trying to get us to achieve something outside of God's will, outside of God's timing, or outside of God's plan and purpose for our life. We're going to look at three tactics that he uses to try to do this from Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. We're going to see three things in Genesis chapter 3. They all start with the letter D to help us remember. They are doubt, deception, and distraction. Look with me at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he also ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So his first tactic, as we see in this passage, is to create doubt. Did God really say? That's what he says to Eve. Did God really say? He's trying to put a question in Eve's mind of to what God said. He's trying to question God's authority. He's trying to question God's word. And he does the same thing to us. He tries to plant seeds of doubt into our mind. A good way he does this is playing on our hardships and our difficulties and trials that we go through our life. At one time or another, we all have been guilty of doubting God. We've doubted God's promises. We doubted his provision. We've doubted his protection as we've gone through difficulties and trials in life. And Satan will try to use that doubt as an opportunity to create a divide and separate us even more from God. He does not want us recognizing God's truth. 
If we allow ourselves to continue to sit in that doubt and we don't remind ourselves of of God's promises, we don't remind ourselves of God's goodness, we don't remind ourselves of God's consistency, he will use that to pull us away from God. What we need when we're going through those trials, when we're going through those difficulties, is God's perspective on suffering. I want to show you a great verse from Romans chapter chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And it says this, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I don't know your life's situation. I don't know your circumstance, but God does. And this passage should be an encouragement to you because it says God wants to pour his love into your heart. He wants to give you hope. Do not allow Satan to sow those seeds of doubt. Remind yourself of God's promises as you go through those challenges, as you go through those difficulties. God is there with you. He is there beside you. The Bible also says he wants to give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Don't let him make you doubt God. Other ways that he'll try to get us to doubt is in the word of God. That's what he did with Eve, right? He tried to get her to doubt God's word. He does the same thing today. I hear people make this objection to the Bible. They'll say, well, what about all those mistakes in the Bible, all those contradictions? The Bible was written thousands of years ago, right? And it was written down by men, and it was written in a different language. It's been copied many times. How could the Bible possibly be what God intended us to have? Well, what I would say back to you, what I would, I would ask this question. How could God, if he is almighty, sovereign, powerful, in control of the universe, able to maintain the order, how would he not be able to maintain and preserve his word? The Bible is our handbook, our instruction book to life. In it, we find life's most, the answer to life's most important questions. Where did I come from? What is my purpose in life? How should I live my life? What happens when I die? The answer to salvation is in there. The plan for salvation, God writes in this book. So we know about how we can be saved, how, can we, how we can receive that forgiveness that God wants to promise us. The word of God is living and active. So of course, Satan is going to try to create doubt in the word of God. He knows its power and he wants us to doubt it. Don't let him put doubt in your mind. His number two tactic is deception. He tries to deceive Eve, that is to lie, when he says, you will not surely die. He lies about the consequences of sin right there. He's a liar. Remember from John 8 that his character is to lie. He is the father of lies. He will throw lies in your direction. He'll try to put them in your mind. 2 Corinthians 11.1 talks about how Satan will go after our mind, throw those flaming darts in there, trying to get us to be deceived, to not trust God. He's a liar. And if we are not careful, we too can become deceived by his lies. That passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul was writing to believers. It was not to unbelievers. We are not above being deceived. Remember, from verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty. He is very crafty. He is sneaky. He's not going to tell you something that is obviously untrue. I'm going to give you a couple instances of how he lies to our culture. Because remember, he wants to lie to the unbeliever. He wants to lie to the believer. He wants to lie to the, to the Christian. He has successfully infiltrated all areas of our culture. Academics, sports, media, politics, finance. And they all are filled with people that are pushing his propaganda. Some common things that we hear are, God did not create the earth. 
That was a big bang. That was just a couple cells out in the universe, and they just started forming and growing and growing. That was not God. Don't you know all those scientists? They went to school for how many years? You're not, you think you're smarter than a scientist? That's what scientists say. They say that it was a big bang. Or they'll say, you are not a special creation of God. You are not important. You just evolved over millions of years of struggle and pain and difficulty. Your life has no significance. Your life has no worth. That's a lie. Or he'll say, there aren't two genders. You can be whoever you want to be. He'll also say, you can marry whoever you want. Marriage is not between a man and a woman. As long as you love the other person, that's okay. That's all that counts. It's just that you love them. He tries to push lies on us, and he bombards us with those lies over and over and over again, trying to deceive us. If we are not careful, if we do not know the truth that is in this book, we too can find ourselves deceived to the truth. His third tactic, as we see in verse 6, is to create a distraction. He comes on looking like he's on Adam and Eve's side, right? I'm here to help you. God's holding out on you. If you'll just listen to me, then I have a better way for you. He tries to distract them with the look of the fruit. She says it was desirable to look at. It looked good. It sounded good. He makes sin look appealing. He makes sin look great. He magnifies it in such a way that we forget about the consequences. Adam and Eve knew when Satan first asked them, they knew about the consequences of sin. Eve told it to him. But he got them to focus so much on that desire. Remember, he gets us to focus on something specific. Adam and Eve had everything they could ever want. Their life was perfect. They were living in perfect harmony with God. They could do whatever they wanted, and he got the focus, them to focus on the one thing they could not do, eat the fruit. And that's what they did. He got them to forget about the consequences. He tries to distract people all the time. It doesn't even have to be with something bad or something sinful. In the life of the believer, he's going to try to fill your week with so much activities that you're tired to come to church early on Sunday morning. He doesn't want you coming to Sunday school. He's not going to stop you from coming to church. You're already a Christian, but he's going to get you to try to go less. He wants to fill your life with distractions. He's going to say, you have so much going on in your week. You woke up early. You don't have time to be part of a life group. You don't have time to come and help and serve in Awana. He's going to fill you with distractions. He knows the most important thing in the life of the believer is spending alone time in prayer with God and reading from his word. And so he will try to distract you and keep you away from that. He'll use your phone, TV, friends, work, whatever. He's not going to say, don't read your Bible. He'll just say, just, just read real quick the verse of the day from the Bible app. Just read that. You don't have to do anything else. You're busy. He'll say, you don't have to spend uh, time doing a devotion with your family. Just pray with them before they go to bed, and that's enough. They're going to learn at church, so don't worry about it. You don't, you don't have to do that. He's creating a distraction for us, filling our life with lots of good things. My day can be filled with so many good things, helping people, doing this, doing that, and I forget to spend alone time with God. If God is our priority, if God is important to us, then we should give him the best of our day. We should give him our time when we are our freshest, not try to cram him in in between other activities. Satan wants to distract us because he knows that he is no match for a Christian that is reading their Bible and praying to God. He's no match for that. So we saw these three strategies of doubt, deception, and distraction. But he does not just use these at any time. He will come after us when we are most vulnerable. If you think about it, if you're in the military and you're making a plan of when you're going to attack your opponent, you do not attack them at their strongest point. You'll go after them where they are the weakest. All of us have weaknesses, and Satan knows that. 
He is a student of us. He studies us, and he knows what will trip you up. He knows what will get you to sin. He knows what temptations to throw your way. He has a plan for each and every one of us. What we need to do is become aware of what our specific weaknesses are. A way that we can do that is asking questions and say, what is the sin that I have a hard, what is the thing that I have a hard time being obedient to God in? What area in my life do I have to go back to God over and over confessing the same sin? What was the situation? What was the circumstance that happened when I gave into sin, when I gave into temptation? What was my life situation? Who was I with? What were the circumstances? When we ask ourselves those questions, when we pray and ask God, God, show me my weaknesses, show me my vulnerabilities, he will do that. And then that thing that Satan tried to use against you over and over again, you'll be able to see it coming. As you notice a distraction, doubt, deception coming your way, as he's trying to get you to trip up, as he's trying to get you to go against God, you'll be able to see that coming, you'll be aware, and you'll notice it. Something for me, a weakness of mine, is controlling my mouth. I have a hard time having self-control when I'm putting my kids to bed at night. They do not want to go to bed. They want to stay up and play, watch TV, eat snacks, whatever they can. They just don't want to go to bed. And so it will be very easy for me to get frustrated with them and say something that is unkind or unhurtful or something I don't really mean. So I know if I'm tired and it's time to put them to bed, I need to be patient. I need to have self-control. I need to pray and ask God, God, please, in this situation, help me to be kind to my kids. Help me to be nice to them and not say anything that would hurt their feelings. If you do that, I promise you that God will show you your weak spots. He'll show you your vulnerabilities, and you'll be able to withstand against the enemy's attacks. But before I move on and I share how we can be prepared for these attacks that come our way, it's important to reiterate that it's tough to distinguish between our own sinful desires and what is an attack from our enemy. This story of Adam and Eve, it is very clear and easy to see that that is a satanic attack. He's coming after them. It's very clear to see. But in our own life, it's tough to distinguish what is my own sinful desire and what is him trying to lead me away from God. But... Fortunately for us, God's principles of how we can be prepared are the same no matter what it is. If it's our own desires or it's our enemy, our principles for for warfare, spiritual warfare, are the same. What we're going to do is go back to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to notice a word or a phrase that is used four times here. This is our strategy. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, verse 14. What are our orders from God, our marching orders? They are to stand firm. That is a defensive position. He does not want us to go on the attack. God wants to stand firm. But what is our our foundation? What are we supposed to stand on? God gives us several things here that we're supposed to stand on. Verse 10, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are to stand firm in the strength of God. If I am using my own ability, my own thinking, I am no match for Satan. I'm no match for him. I can't compete with him. He's more powerful than me, but he's not stronger than God. 
He is not more powerful than God. If I'm drawing my strength from the battle from the Lord, I will never run out of strength because God just keeps giving over and over again. He fills us with the strength that we need for the battle. Remember, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. We can have victory over temptation. We can have victory over sin when we are leaning and trusting in God's strength and not our own. Second thing, we are to stand firm filled with a spirit of discernment. Discernment is related to wisdom. Back in the book of Proverbs, you can read all kinds of things about how we're supposed to be wise. Wisdom we gain from having a relationship with God. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he sends the Holy Spirit to come and live in our heart. Remember, God knows everything, and he knows how to apply that knowledge well. So if I'm trying to rely on my own understanding, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to see the decisions that I'm supposed to make correctly. I'm not going to see the attacks that are coming at me. I need to have a spirit of discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit. If you look down to the bottom of this section, in verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit. We are to be praying to God, asking him, God, what should I do in this situation? What should I say? What do you want me to do? And in those instances, we have to be willing to be patient. It can be difficult when you see an enemy coming to be patient when they are attacking you. That can be a difficult thing. But remember, we're standing on God's word. We're standing firm with the spirit of discernment. I'm going to give you a little secret about myself. I am a sucker for a good sales presentation. If you put a well-dressed salesman who's charismatic, he has a flashy smile and a southern accent, I will buy anything that he's selling. All of those things collided one day when Malia and I were invited to an exclusive event. At this event, there was a salesman who was selling pots and pans. These pots and pans were not just any regular pots and pans, though. With these pots and pans, you could make chicken, rice, vegetables, whatever you want in 15 minutes because you worked a long, hard day and you don't want to have to spend time in the kitchen cooking. 15 minutes and you can cook all this stuff. Not only that, but these pots and pans were scratch-proof. You never have to buy pots and pans again. It's a one-time purchase. I was nudging Malia because we were about to get married and we needed pots and pans. We were making our registry and said, we have to buy these. This is a great deal. Not only that, but at the end of his presentation, he threw this out at me. He said, if you will buy these today, I'm going to give you a free one-week vacation to wherever you want to go. My jaw just about dropped to the floor. I was planning a honeymoon, and now I can save all that money, and I don't have to spend it on a honeymoon because this nice guy is going to pay for it for me. I was ready to buy. As soon as his presentation was over, I was one of the first people in line whipping out my wallet, trying to find whatever credit card I needed to purchase those pots and pans. This whole time, Malia is saying to me, Matt, this kind of sounds a little too good to be true. Don't you think we should think about this? It's like, no, quiet. I know what I'm doing. This is a good deal. This is a great deal. We're going to be losing money if we don't buy these pots and pans. It should have been a big red flag to me when, as we were talking with him, he said he goes to church and his pastor is Joel Olstein. I, I should have seen it coming, but I didn't. Fortunately, I have a wife that is very discerning. She was filled with the Spirit, and she was able to get us out of that deal after I bought those pots and pans. And so we were, we were able to get our money back. We were saved from having bad pots and pans, and we didn't get that vacation. But that's okay. 
because my wife has a spirit of discernment. I have a hard time making right decisions. I need to be filled with the spirit, asking God, what should I do? What should I say? Make it clear to me, because if I'm relying on myself, I'm not going to make the right decision. Next, we need to stand firm, armed with the scriptures. In verse 17 of this passage, we see that our only weapon in this fight, in this battle, is the sword, which is the word of God. You find what your weak spot is, and you equip yourself, you arm yourself with two or three Bible verses. So when that temptation comes your way, whether it's your own sinful desire or it's a satanic attack, you quote that scripture back, just like Jesus did in the wilderness when he was tempted, and you say, it is written, it is written, it is written. And when you do that, when you're standing firm on the strength of God, filled with the spirit of discernment, armed with the scriptures, you will be able to fight back successfully in this battle and be victorious over that sin, over that temptation, if we arm and equip ourselves with the word of God. If you think about it, no good soldier in any military is unfamiliar with his weapon, right? He can take that thing apart, blindfolded, put it back together. He takes it with him wherever he goes. We need to be equipped with this book, taking it out into the world because the warfare is all around us. We never know when attack is going to come upon us and we need to be prepared. We also need to avoid tempting situations. Adam and Eve were in a tempting situation, right? They could have been anywhere they wanted in the Garden of Eden, but they found themselves right there by that tree. They could look at it. They could see it. They could touch it. If we have a weak spot, when we find out what that weak spot is, when we find out the situation and circumstance when we're most likely to give in to sin, we need to try to avoid that situation. A couple easy, easy ones, easy examples. If you have a problem with your finances, you should not vacation in Las Vegas. That is very tempting, right? If you have a problem with alcohol, you should probably not take your work meetings at a bar right? That is a tempting situation. You could also let a brother or sister in Christ know your spouse, hey, I realize these are my weak spots. God helped show them to me. Will you pray for me? Will you help me so that I can avoid these tempting situations? Other times it can be impossible for us to avoid a tempting situation. That's when we especially need to be armed with God's strength, God's discernment, and the scriptures. Lastly, if you continue to read through this passage, which we don't have time to do today, there's a whole suit of armor that God provides to you. Every morning when you wake up, you prepare yourself for spiritual warfare by putting on the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the belt, the shoes, all of it. You equip yourself just praying through that, God, help me see when the attack is coming. Help me be prepared for that. If we do those things, if we're relying on God, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, God will see us through to victory. And you know what? We're gonna fail anyway. We're gonna mess up. That's the truth. We still have a sinful nature. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. We're going to give in to temptation. But God is there offering grace, offering forgiveness, giving us another chance to fight the next day, fight the next battle. He's there ready for us. Circling back to the first story I shared with you, it would have been really easy for me to respond in anger at that guy who yelled at us. It would have been really easy for me to confuse him as my enemy. It would have been easy for me to think better of myself because I know the truth. You've just been blinded to the truth. I know better. And if I can be honest with you, that's how I felt. I felt like I was better than him. I wanted to respond out of anger. But fortunately, God did not let me do that. And he gave me the words to say this in response. We are here because we care about that player. We want him to know the truth, just like we want you to know the truth as well. 
If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have this message of hope that you can go out into this world that is filled with Satan's lies, doubt, distractions. You have a message of hope that you can bring them if you will share it to them. Don't let him create doubt in your mind. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him create distractions in your life to prevent you from doing that. You need to find a person that is in your life. It could be a coworker, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, and you need to be praying for them that God would open their eyes and reveal the truth of the gospel to them because the God of this world, little g God, the God of this world has blinded their eyes to the truth of the gospel. It is not in our own cunning ability and our own eloquence of speech that we share the gospel, but it is through God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That is not my words. That's God's words. You need to arm yourself with a couple verses that you can go out and share with other people. Be prepared to share other people the truth of the gospel because they desperately need it. Think about who you can share this message with. Lastly, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Satan has you right where he wants you. He's going to keep making you doubt. He's going to keep lying to you. He's going to keep distracting you everything that he possibly can to keep you blinded to the truth of the gospel. He will say to you, you don't need God. You don't need him in your life. You can do things on your own. And even if there is a God, if there is heaven, you live a good life. Look at yourself compared to those other people. You live pretty good. God's just going to let you in. You don't have to worry about it. If you're going through a difficulty or a hardship, He's going to say to you, God's not going to hear you. Why would you cry out to God for help now? You've never prayed before. You've never been to church before. Why would he hear you? Why would he listen to you? There's one thing I guarantee you God will hear and God will respond to. The Bible says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise from God. That is a guarantee. Don't let Satan continue to distract you to lie to you, to fill your mind with doubt and deception and distractions. God is waiting for you with open arms. He's moved towards you in the person of Jesus Christ by him dying on the cross, taking the punishment for, his, for your sin. And he's saying, I want you part of my family. I want you in my army. He's waiting to accept you. He has a suit of armor waiting for you to put on so that you can be equipped also to fight in the spiritual battle. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the strength that you provide. I pray that as we go forward in our week, Lord, that you would equip us with the armor of God, that we'd be filled with your strength, filled with your discernment, filled with the scriptures as, so that we can be prepared to fight this battle, Lord. If there's anyone in here or listening online, Lord, that has never placed their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would do that. Stop letting Satan deceive them. Stop letting Satan create doubt in their mind and distractions. I pray that they would turn their life over to you, Lord, that they would repent from their sin, admit their sin, believe in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for them, and they would commit their lives to you, making, making you the Lord of their life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today, for singing these songs and listening to God's word preached. And if you've forgotten, as you leave today, there's opportunities to serve our children Jesus said, let the children come unto me. I hope you have the same heart. Maybe you can prayerfully consider it this week and sign up next week. Um, but those opportunities are available. You, Your church has let you know where their needs are. And so we'll leave you with the Spirit of God to lead you in whatever direction you have you move in.
As we leave here today, here's our benediction right from the passages we heard preached. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. For He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Amen.